This is the Education Gadfly Show. Let's not celebrate a totalitarian government too much here now, Amber, even though for Hi. researchers it's helpful. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-hosts, the Gonzaga and North Carolina of education reform, Alyssa Schwenk and Eric Egan. Who's who, Mike? Uh, you guys can figure that okay. one out. You're both number one seeds. So, you know. I'll take it. Maybe you decide next week who's who. I should say Eric is the Senior Director of Educator Voice and Policy at the Pi Network. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I will, I'll go with North Carolina. They'll be my backup to the uh, Badgers who are, are out now. Oh, at least you guys beat the one team that did really well and wrecked my bracket in the process. The Pennsylvania so, team, yeah. Yeah, that one and, team, I actually forgot who it was. Oh, yeah, and that Wisconsin team that Michigan beat, you mean, in the Big Ten oh, Championships. Oh, God, I hate this yes. <laughs> So, hey, uh, Eric, you know, your your boss, Suzanne Tashney, was on uh, right. just a few weeks ago. So our listeners are getting a, a double dose of pie and yet it still comes as not about baking at all. So No, but I am going to a pie class tonight, so I'm really excited about oh this. Oh my gosh. Well, that's good. You know, Alyssa, I have to say that the Fordham team does benefit from <laughs> Alyssa's baking uh, obsession. Is that a fair word? We'll call it a uh, healthy interest. Uh, interest. I'm not, is yes. it healthy? Is it really healthy? Unhealthy interest. Unhealthy. <laughs> there it is. Good. All right. Hey. Yeah, my bar, I, I have zero, zero of four teams in in my bracket uh, heading to the final four. So I'm I'm pretty much completely disinterested. Although I don't, do we have the rule this year that if you come in last, you get your your money back? Your money back? I don't know. I hope so because I have Wichita State in the final. So yeah, so you got a real. I deserve my money and yet back. You were number one for a while. Listen, it was amazing. a beautiful moment. Producer Andrew might take it all home, and he's from Ireland. I mean, this is crazy. Thanks a lot, Andrew, making us feel bad about uh, our American sport over here. A lot, of, a lot of international players uh, starting in NCAA. I think Oregon has a bunch of Canadians. That's true. This yeah. is true. It is an international sport now. Okay, but this is not the basketball gadfly show. It is the education gadfly show. So let's do Ed Reform Update. Okay, Eric, Alyssa, we are going to move away from our uh, obsession with all things Washington this week. And we're going to talk about a big issue that's uh, really out there in the States and at the local level, something that Eric works on every day, which is educator voice, uh, how to engage educators, especially in the policymaking process. They often feel left out. Many reformers are skeptical that the unions are the best place to go to get teachers opinions. Uh, and we can unpack that a little bit and a brand new survey finds that educators don't particularly feel like they've been listened to when it comes to ESSA, don't have big uh, hopes that ESSA is going to change much, and basically think that our education system is going uh, down the toilet. Yeah, no, I thought the report, uh, which is it's called, I think, An Eagerness to be Heard, it's by Educators for High Standards, mm-hmm. um, found kind of the same things that like Ednext has found about like parents in the education system. Like, how do you think education is going broadly? Like, mm-hmm. not too well, but clearly like they're still teaching. Clearly they think... I would assume I'm not the statistician here yeah. at all, but like there is something good in their school. I, and it, although it's hard to know, I, it seems mm-hmm. to be about what direction you think education is going. And mm-hmm. so if they don't favor reforms or if they're thinking about maybe Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos, mm-hmm. they were very negative on those things. Hard to say if that means they think schools in general are not doing a good job or getting good results mm-hmm. or just they don't like the direction. Eric, well, you've thought about this a ton. I, I mean, for decades we've had the unions and they will say that they speak for educators is is that true or what's wrong with that 
Well, I think that uh, unions can play an important part in the advocacy and policy space uh, at the local, state, and national levels. We also have other organizations and other teacher leaders who are uh, starting to weigh in a little bit more. Groups that you hear about, like Educators for Excellence and Teach Plus, who bring uh, an alternative voice, as well as some of the reform groups that we, we think about around the country at the state level, like Tennessee SCORE in advance Illinois, who are building teacher fellowships and, and councils into their work. I, I think, you know, it would behoove policymakers and a lot of advocates to, um, to maybe switch into receive mode, to quote the uh, secretary, and uh, l- listen to educators uh, about what, what's the concerns in their classrooms. All right. So, so let's do that. Uh, when, okay. So, for example, we, we go to uh, this survey and teachers are saying when it comes to ESSA, they want a much bigger focus in, in terms of school ratings, how you judge schools accountability. They like to have a bigger focus on social and emotional measures, not big fans of test scores. And yet when policymakers try to listen and be in receiver mode on that, Uh, Well, they find out that it's actually still hard to measure social emotional learning in the classroom. It's hard to get valid and reliable measures. We've got a big fight going on in Maryland right now where the the teachers are being heard. They're saying we're going to minimize the use of test scores and maximize this other stuff. Many of us feel like that would sweep low school performance under the rug. So how, how do we balance this? I mean, look, to be honest, I feel like if we go and say, okay, what do the majority of teachers want? They want less accountability. They want less of focus on testing. I mean, and, and of course, you know, there's very few people willing to stand up for testing and standards right now. I mean, it, it is hard to stand for standards. Uh, and look, this isn't just an education. Nobody wants to be really held accountable. Nobody really wants to be, have to deal with competition. Nobody wants anybody to move their cheese. People want to be trusted and left alone and let them do your, your work. And yet that's maybe not the best way to set education policy. Yeah, no, I think it's tricky. I think something, though, that kind of getting to Eric's point about receive mode, I've always found it's important to ask the why in these situations. Like, why do you want less accountability? Yeah, why? or why do you want test scores to be valued less? Um, and trying to figure out not a way to roll back accountability, but to make maybe the circumstances around teaching easier for teachers, A, to feel heard and to B, feel like they're not just getting these top-down reforms, that they're being messaged properly. And incorporating teachers, I think, in the process is important mm-hmm. to that step. I, I think that's right. I think there's um, a tension for me around uh, between you know urgency to to act for kids right now. Kids mm-hmm. can't wait for, for adults to get their acts together for 12 years. Um, but at the same time, the, you, you do want to get it right. Um, you do want to listen to the ultimate implementers, the, the street-level bureaucrats of, of policy, the mm-hmm. teachers. Um, like that, that James Q. Wilson <laughs> reference right. there. Boom, nice. Oh, you're, okay. Um, you know, they are the, the, the caring adults, the skilled adults with whom we entrust our, our kids for for most of the day, five times a week. And, yep. and they, there are a lot of innovative educators out there who I would, I would argue um, are not afraid of accountability, uh, really have stood up for high standards, especially uh, at the state level to, to protect high standards and, mm-hmm. and tests that actually tell them something, tell parents something. Yeah, and, and the trick here is, I feel like we have always struggled with this in education reform, mm-hmm. uh, this message around accountability. I think the message that has been heard by teachers is, we don't trust you. We think you're doing a bad job. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we think you're lazy. Da, 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 da. Uh, and I don't think that's the case for the vast majority of teachers out there. What I would say mm-hmm. it is more like we are trying to hold the system accountable. We think that many teachers work inside a dysfunctional system, no fault of their own. And we want to fix that system. We want the system to start to rewarding uh, rather than compliance and mediocrity. We mm-hmm. want them to, to uh, get 
on the board with excellence. And look, I think a lot of teachers out there have to deal with principals that are not very good, central office bureaucrats who are not very good, superintendents that drive them crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and somehow uh, <laughs> I, I want us to figure out a way for us to say to teachers, hey, we are with you against a broken system. Yeah, no, and I think that's exactly right. And I think it's critical to remember that teachers are still getting messages like through these broken systems. Like I remember I was a teacher, Eric was too. I've been at Fordham for almost four years. I clearly like accountability um, for a lot of reasons. Um, But I remember the very first observation I had, I'd been teaching six weeks, a child stood on a chair, threw a pencil at another student and then walked out of the classroom. And I followed this eight-year-old out of the classroom leaving 17 other eight-year-olds alone. Like, bad move. Like, things were nuts. Um, And, but I was actually like, thank God there's someone else in my classroom who's observing me, who can help me. The next day I get my, like, review back. And the one note for things I can improve is I don't have my data trackers displayed prominently enough. So, thinking through this process, (laughs) yes. And just thinking through, like, how these reforms and how this accountability gets translated, I yeah. think, is a place that we can really focus. Which is reason number 478 that the whole teacher evaluation thing was a big, huge mistake. <laughs> this wasn't uh, the heyday of teacher eval. And I think, uh, actually, your uh, office in Ohio is is doing a great job working on this right now, really trying to say the evaluation system as it currently exists is not doing a good job, not only identifying quality teaching, but I would say maybe more importantly, um, giving feedback, usable feedback to the teachers on how to improve their craft. And so yeah. trying to trying to transform or evolve the system to focus mm-hmm. on helping those teachers in, in the process of continuous improvement will, will help everybody out. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. So we're going to listen more, but also at times we're going to have to agree to disagree, but try to make it clear that that is because we think that the system teachers are working in is broken. We want to fix it. And by the way, teachers, if if you don't have patience for that broken system, Leave the system. Start a charter school. Uh, there or, is this other or, possibility. Or here. join one of these excellent uh, educator voice organizations yes. who are, are, are doing great work. Yeah, that, that, great, great plug there. Good. Good, Eric. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much again, Eric Egan, who has super cool title of Senior Director of Educator Voice and Policy at the Pi Network. It's not about Pi. It's about education reform in the states, 35 states and growing. Go check it out. Thanks, Eric. It is now time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So, uh, listen, I've already admitted that our mm-hmm. brackets are busted. Oh, Do you have any totally shot? Totally busted. No. no shot at all. You didn't have UNC? I, <laughs> no, 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 no. I had Louisville, like, yeah. way back then. Uh, again, Wichita State. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, just, you I mean, knew you were throwing that one away. Well, they had a good Pomeroy ranking, and all of my basketball friends liked them. And I figured if they won, like, I would kill it. All right. This is true. This it's is a problem. True. I don't know why I do it every year. I just think, eh, maybe one year I'll get lucky and, yeah. you know, but yeah. I never do. My, my boys are just fascinated by this idea that Warren Buffett will give somebody a billion dollars if they get <laughs> right. every game right. You know, and they, they really, they have this idea that they could do it. They could do it. Yeah. Last time I checked, I think Nico was at the bottom of the Florida <laughs> pool. Poor guy. Have we talked about how history is a strong suit these days? Not probability. Not probability. <laughs> but, yeah. By golly, yeah. I appreciate him being in the pool. He's you know? in there. It, it builds grit, right? Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> and I am making them pay the five bucks. I don't care. <laughs> All right, Amber, what you got? 
Uh, we got a large-scale randomized control trial. Aren't we excited about that? Yes. RCT. Yes, in China. Okay, it's in China, but oh. I mean, it's 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 really cool. Uh, <laughs> investigates peer effects in computer-assisted learning. Like all of us go nuts trying to figure out like how we can make peer effects research like you know reliable. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they try to. I mean, one of the problems is like smart kids tend to befriend other smart kids and poor mm-hmm. kids, and so that's mm-hmm. you know you got to get around that. Uh, the paper circumvents many of the issues and around peer effects research by having randomization at three levels. Number one, random assignment of schools to this computer-assisted intervention and to control groups. Mm-hmm. Random assignment of students to the computer-assisted intervention, either individually or in pairs. Mm-hmm. And number three, random assignment of a peer for those students that are then assigned to the treatment in the pair. Okay? Mm. okay. Lots of randomization going on. Um, and But their key thing that we're really trying to drill down in is that we know that peer effects vary by the characteristics of the peers, but we actually don't really know how that works. So in other words, could it be they're trying to suss, suss out whether students who are too similar or too dissimilar learn less or more from each other. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've got this different kind of pairings you can do. All right, the RCD is implemented in a very poor rural sub-province in China. I don't know how to say Hong Kong, A-N-K-A-N. Anyway, of the eight counties in this place, four are randomly selected. The sample includes 72 primary schools with students in grades three through six, a total of 8,000 students included in the study. Okay. Okay. This is China after all, and a big place, Uh, but it's rural, right? So the intervention was implemented over an entire year, 2011, 2012. Students in the treated schools received two 40 minutes of computer-assisted learning per week, which took place during school and was mandatory for all the students in the treated schools. Students in the 36 control schools did business as usual. They had their regular math classes, okay? The possi- I thought this was funny. I included it. The possibility of spillover is minimized since there's just one sample school per town and the average distance between treatment and control school is almost 20 miles. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So there's not too much spillover going over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, intervention is based on China's common curriculum. We know China's got this national curriculum. It's grade specific. And then it gave you a little bit of information. It, it um, basically reviewed the material taught by the math teacher that week because, oh, by the way, all, I've been to China. I've sat in on classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, all the teachers are teaching the same thing, right? And they're paced that way. Wow. And then it has this cute little cartoon character game that reteaches the material again. Okay. Parents, students share a computer and earphones with their peer. And then the single, this is kind of sad in a way, right? And then the kids who aren't paired are at their own computer kind of by themselves with, with no peer. The teacher, <laughs> the teacher in the hey, session. What are you talking about? You know, not for the introverts. They're probably happy. <laughs> yeah, right. but it's a little anyway. And the teacher in the session is only to help with hardware issues and software operation. Okay, and they actually did a bunch of observations and showed that in fact this is what teachers were doing, mm-hmm. right? And kids were. And if you've again, if you've been to China and observed classrooms, you will see that this can happen in China. And the other kids aren't supposed to talk to each other. They're just supposed to talk to their peer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, pre and post test administered. I know I'm going like three minutes now. Um, items were drawn from Tim's test bank. If you care about what instrument mm-hmm. they use. Number one in Chinese rural schools, the intervention led to an average of 0.17 standard deviation improvement in math scores among the students. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, the average effect is the same, whether students had the intervention by themselves or with their peer. Okay. okay. Number three, among the paired students, Poor performers benefit more from the intervention when paired with higher performers. Mm-hmm. Higher performers. Mm-hmm. Average performers benefit equally, irrespective of who they're paired with. Uh, when you have low to low pairs, they see no impact on scores from the pairing. 
Mm-hmm. For exceptionally high-performing students, these are kids one standard deviation above the average, they perform, now this is surprising, higher if paired with a poorly performing student. Oh, that is surprising. Ooh, very surprising. The same goes for good performers paired with a lower performer, though results aren't statistically significant. Hmm. So they make a big deal out of saying their performance is not harmed, is the bottom line. And then they end up saying, okay, now what if we do this strategic sorting, right? So this hypothetical thing where you actually begin to pair the kid at the top with the kid from the fir- first from the bottom, first from the top. Mm-hmm. Keep going, keep going. Um, and they hypothesize that that's about a 0.03 standard deviation relative to if you just let it happen randomly. Um, with more, again, more pronounced for the weaker students. So they, they end up saying, you know what? It doesn't hurt the kids who are high performing. If any face, there's evidence that it's better for them, although this is not statistically significant. Mm-hmm. Wow, very interesting. And so first of all, do we think that this can be, can we extrapolate from this in any way? Can we change my head? It's China. Can we bring it to the U.S.? China, but it's also this this peer experience seems yeah. kind of unique. I mean, right. versus a typical classroom where there's a whole bunch you're, of kids and, and you're not together. talking. Right. The, the whole mm-hmm. intervention, I think you're kind of putting them in a bubble, right? Okay. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, this is your peer. This is who you're talking to. You know, yeah. you're not having sort of any interaction with the other kids. And again, like an American yeah. school, like how in the world you'd ever like yeah. just say that and have it done. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. But you know, this is different. The culture is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one thing I said, like, this is kind of really cool research because they've mm-hmm. sort of got these sort of conditions baked in where they can actually implement it with fidelity, mm-hmm. which like how in the world you'd ever implement this with fidelity in the United States um, Let's not celebrate a totalitarian government too much here now, Amber, even though for but, researchers it's helpful. But I mean, wow, what a cool experiment. <laughs> I will say I do have a hypothesis um, about why the higher performers who are paired with the low performer did better. And it's the process of like teaching somebody helps that's, you learn it even better. Um, careful, 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 Alyssa. I know, that's what everybody I know. always says. And that's why the gifted kids get the short end of the stick. <laughs> I will have say that I have extrapolated beyond the research twice on this <laughs> podcast already. So that's, that's it. And were you not the one that left the classroom? <laughs> you admitted earlier. Yes. I was not a perfect teacher, but I, I try very hard. Uh, All right. Well, how interesting. What, were these were these Chinese researchers Americans? Uh, uh, they were American. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think they had a Chinese heritage, but yeah. they were American. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks, Amber. Sure Fascinating thing. stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all the time we got. Until next week. I'm Melissa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.